by Paul, I can, I can say that we can exalt in tribulation, we can exalt in difficulties, in struggles. Because even in our tribulation, we learn perseverance. Perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And that hope, Father, we know does not disappoint because the love of God has been shared abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who indwells us. And Lord, we thank you that we stand in that grace this morning. In all of our undertakings, it is by your grace. We praise you, Father. And even as, as I stand before your people this morning, standing in awe of your almightiness, standing in awe of your grace, standing in awe of the fact that I'm standing before people that are made in your own image, your own people. Father, thank you for the privilege of bringing your word unto your people. I don't take this for granted. I thank you, Father. Let every heart be fertilized and that as the word proceeds, the entrance of that same word will bring peace unto your people. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen and amen. amen. The trend of our teachings in recent times has been focused on knowing the personhood of Jesus Christ, knowing the person of Jesus Christ, beginning with the 21-day fast that we had at the beginning of the year. It was focused on knowing the person of Christ. And I believe that a true knowledge, a true knowledge of the personhood of Christ, a true knowledge that he is the way, the way we are to follow. He is the truth, the truth we are to believe that sets us free and that he is the very life that we need to live. That true knowledge will help us live a victorious Christian life. Amen? Amen. It's not possible to exhaust the depth of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's it's not possible. Uh, Even at the highest level of your maturity, I mean spiritual maturity, uh, there there is still tons and tons and tons and tons of things to learn and to know of him. And so I, I, I am not, I'm privileged, I'm really privileged to have that knowledge, to have a little of that knowledge and to share that knowledge with you. I, I think I can identify with the verdict of Apostle Paul in Philippians chap, chapter 3 when he thought of the fact of knowing Christ. Knowing Christ. And I quote, he says, but whatever things were gained to me, whatever things were gained to me, those, those things, I have counted them loss for the sake of Christ. And he said, even more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish. 
so that I may gain Christ. And he says, that I may know him. You know, I, I often wondered, Paul at this time was at the, at the peak of his maturity. And we would think that a man of Paul's status would have known Christ. But he kept saying, that I may know him. Not just, he said, that I may experience the power of his resurrection. That resurrection life that he has bestowed upon us as his children. Not only like he said, that I may experience a fellowship of his suffering. You know, not many people like the cross, right? But Paul said, to experience the fellowship of his suffering, that I might attain unto the resurrection of life. I'm saying this to say that all of my accomplishments, all of my performances, that they win, they win, they come to zero in the face of comparing that with the knowledge the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. What I want to bring to us this morning is still within that line, knowing Jesus Christ. And a special mystery, in fact, Paul calls it a mystery. Paul calls it a mystery. And I'm going to attempt, I'm going to attempt to unfold that mystery to us this morning by the help of the Holy Spirit. The title I have is In Christ and Christ in Me. In Christ and Christ in Me. In Christ and Christ in Me. Very, very simple, very simple title, but it's loaded. It's loaded. Turn with me to the book of John. John chapter 14. And we'll read from verse number 15. John 14 from verse 15. John 14, 15. And I read, it says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. And that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it does not behold him or know him. But you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. Verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will behold me no more. But you will behold me. Because I live, you shall live also. Verse 20, which is my text. In that day, you shall know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. In that day, you would know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. What a place to be. What a place to be. Let me demonstrate this so that you really catch the import of this. This is what Jesus is telling the disciples. He says, in that day, 
you would know that I, Jesus, if I can get this all right, I, Jesus, you would know that I, Jesus, I am in the Father. Me, Stephen, you are in me. And me, Christ, I am in you. Sealed. Sealed. What a place to be. This is a mystery, as Paul said it. To be in something, in is a very simple preposition. And the dictionary defines in as a preposition that denotes a fixed position, either in place, in time, or in state. Very simple. So, as I stand here, I can say that I am in the church. That is a fixed position in place. That I'm in front of God's people. Okay. At a particular, in this time. In this time, meaning that there is a fixed position in time, speaking to God's people in a state of joy. In a state of joy. So, in joy, meaning that a fixed position in a state. In a state. So, to say that, for Christ to say that, I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you, is saying that you are in me, and there is a state of position, a fixed state, a fixed position in state. Amen? Now, this is a spiritual truth. truth. And so, for us to understand this, I want to begin by some foundational truths, some some foundational truths. Number one truth is that you and I are spirit. Okay. How many know that they are spirit? Yes. You and I are spirit. You have a soul and you live in a body. You are a spirit. You have a soul and you live in a body. The spirit is that part of it that God has given to you so that you relate with him. Because John 5, 24 says that God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so God gave us his spirit so that we can relate with him. As far as God is concerned, your spiritual identity is what is important to him. Your spiritual identity, the state of your spirit, whether you are connected with him or not. The soul is that part that comprises, the soul is your, your personality. It comprises your mind, which is a thinker, everything that you perceive, everything that you have heard, and every deed you have done is stored in your mind, actually stored in the brain, which is part of the mind. And so with the mind, we think, we imagine, we judge, we perceive. The soul is given to us so that we can relate with one another. With the soul, you have a self-consciousness. You know yourself. You know that you are a person. You are a believer. Amen? Amen. The body, the body is that part that is given to us. It is the same, 
is the thing that we see outside. You are looking at my body. You, you don't see me because I am spirit. You hear me? You don't see me. You just see a picture of my body. So God has given us a body so that we can relate with the environment. And we relate with the environment with those five senses. The sense of touch. The sense of taste. The sense of sight. The sense of sound. And then the sense of smell. And all this helps us to live in this environment. We will not take this body to heaven. Amen? This, is, this tent, like Paul calls it, is an earthly tent. And we will take it off. We will take it off and give it a celestial body. This body can only survive there. This body cannot survive in heaven, which is our home. Amen? We are citizens of heaven. We are citizens of heaven. Living on earth for a very short time. I mean, if you compare this time with eternity... It is nothing to compare with eternity. So I want to encourage you this morning that whatever you are going through, you know, Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. Is anybody here feeling like he or she is an orphan? That you are abandoned. You have been rejected. Jesus said, I will not leave you like an orphan. Amen? Amen. Another part of the soul, I can have my water, it's the emotions. The emotions. The emotion is, is the feeler. How you feel. Amen? Just imagine if we did not have emotion. Emotion is also described as the spice of life. Just imagine if you couldn't laugh, if you, if you couldn't cry, if you couldn't be sad. All those things God has given to us. Because it is a spice of life. So with our emotion, we feel. How about the will, which is also a part of the soul? The will is the chooser. You know, with our will, we make choices. With our will, we make choices. So we can choose to walk after the flesh. We can also choose to walk after the spirit. I can choose to love you. I can also choose not to love you. That is a part of your soul. Amen? The soul is your personality. The way you think, the way you make decisions, and the way you feel. God gave us also our nature. Amen? The nature, our nature is identified in our spirit. Amen? Now, all these three parts that I've talked about, the spirit, the soul, and the body, they work in concert. They work in, in tandem. They are associated with one another. What, ha- what happens in your spirit is going to affect your soul. What happens in your soul, in your soul, is going to affect your body. Amen? Amen? So you cannot distinguish, you know. You can't say, well, this is my spirit, this is my soul, and this is my body. They work in unison. Amen? Amen. Now, <clears throat> when sin came into the world through one man, when sin came through Adam, all parts of man was affected. The spirit, the soul, and the body. We are told that the spirit died. Spirit was separated from God. The life of God, which gives life, the Holy Spirit that gives life. You recall in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it said, God breathed the breath of life into man, and man became a living soul. 
When man sinned, that spirit left man. We still had our own spirit. So the life of God was no longer in man. Ephesians 2, 1 says that we were dead, we were dead in our trespasses and in also in our sins. The mind was affected. The mind was dead. Romans, Romans chapter 8, can you put that up for me please? Romans chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. It's talking about the mind. It says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is death. The mind that is set on the flesh is death. But the mind that is set on the spirit is life. It's because God's life was no longer with man. Okay. God's life was no longer with man. And that is Zoe. God's kind of life was no longer with man. Man had to live, right? Man had to live. You know, we had to try to meet the needs of our lives. We had to try to meet the need for love, the need for acceptance, the need for connectedness, all those things. We had to meet them. So God's life is no longer there. We have to do it our own way. Doing it our own way is the flesh. Amen? The old ways that we have devised, the strategies that we have devised to meet those relational needs in our lives, in the absence of God. Sin is independence from God. That's what sin is. Independence from God. I want to do it my own way, not God's, God's way. So the mind was affected. The mind was hostile to God. It's dead. Uh, you have the futility of our thoughts, the uselessness of our thoughts. Adam and Eve, when sin came in, Bible says uh, evil came. Evil, you know, uh, in a in a Hebrew, a Hebrew letters, there are fewer letters in Hebrew than in English. And so one word in Hebrew can mean a thousand things. You know, for instance, you know, the word um, evil means wicked, it means mischievous, it means noxious, it means injurious, it means unpleasant, unfort- unfortunate, calamity, wrong. And, you know, the thoughts that was coming to Adam and Eve's mind, when sin entered, was that I am bad, I am wicked, I am injurious, uh, you know, I, I, I have calamity, I am wrong. I am wrong. You know, if you believe that you are wrong, then every other thing is wrong about you. Because wrong is at the center, at the core of your life. So if you say, I am wrong, nothing can come out of a wrong person except wrong. How about our emotions? Were our emotions affected by sin? Of course, our emotions were affected by sin. As God was coming down, and after Adam and Eve had disobeyed God, what was the first thing that they did? They said they were afraid. They were afraid. So there's this fear. There's this fear that is in our emotions. We are afraid. We are doubtful. Our emotions are vacillating. Very high magnitude. One moment you are up there, the next moment you are down here. Just vacillating emotions. That is fear. That is doubt. That is anxiety. That is shame. How about our will? With our will, we now choose not to obey God. We choose to do our own things. We choose not to obey God. How about our identity? Our identity changed. 
Adam and Eve's identity changed. Formerly they were children of God. Now they are the children of the devil. Children of the devil. John 8, 44, Jesus said, You are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He said, uh, Whose father you are, you want to do the desires of him, right? Man became children of wrath. This is in um, Ephesians um, Ephesians 4, Ephesians 2, 3. Let's look at that. Ephesians 2, 3. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the loss of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature what? Children of wrath. Children of wrath. That became the nature of or the identity of man because sin came into the show. The old self, Bible calls it the old man. The old man was formed. The old man was developed. And the old man is also called the Adamic nature, the sin nature. The old self, that is who I was in my BC days. All of us here, we were born with that nature. Amen? Amen. A baby or no baby, we were all born with that nature because that was passed down through Adam, even unto each and every one of us. This is what happened to Adam and Eve when they sinned. So with our mind, we are no longer in tune with God. The spirit is cut off from the source of life. The spirit is dead. The soul is dead. The body, the body is in a state of decay. You know, the moment you are born into this world, the body begins to decay because the body has to die. The body is diseased. The body is stressed. There's confusion everywhere. This is how we came into the world. We came into the world in Adam. Amen? All of us, we came into the world in Adam. In in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 22. It says that as for as in Adam, all die. As in Adam, all die. So also in Christ, all will be made alive. I'm going to be comparing us in Adam and us in Christ. Because the moment you have received Christ into your life, you are no longer in Adam. There is a transference. There is a transfer. You have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, even Jesus Christ. Let's look at that word in Adam. In Adam. What is the implication of that word in Adam? When I say in Adam... I am talking about a oneness. I'm talking about a union. I'm talking about a joining. Just as I demonstrated here. I was in Adam. So Adam was my father. I'm joined to Adam spiritually. So what does it mean? Before then, let me give an 
illustration of that in Adam. Suppose my, my grandfather had died before my father was conceived and born. What would have happened to me? What would have happened to me? I wouldn't be here, right? I would not be here. If my grandfather, if my father had died, if my grandfather had died before he had my father, I wouldn't be here. So you can see why, because I was in my grandfather's loins. Do you get that? And this is scriptural because in the book of um, Hebrews chapter 7, let's go to Hebrews chapter 7, because I want you to see the connection. I want you to see the connection. In Hebrews chapter 7, verses 4 to 10. It says, now, now observe this. Now observe how great this man was, to whom Abraham the patriarch gave tenths of the choicest boy. Voice. Go on. And those indeed of the sons of Levi who received the priest's office have commandment in the law to receive tenths from the people. That is, from their brethren, although these are descended from Abraham. But the one who, whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tent from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. Eight. In this case, mortal men receive tithes, but in this case, one received them of whom it is witness that he lives on. And so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes. Why? Because he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. So he's saying that Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek because Levi was in the loins of Abraham, even though Abraham is his great, great, great grandfather. So you see the link. All right. So let's go back to Adam. Because I was in Adam, when Adam sinned, I sinned also, even though I wasn't born. When he died spiritually, I died also. The Bible says that sin spread through him, sin came sin. And with sin came death, and death spread to all men. In Adam, sin reigned. In Adam, sin reigned. In other words, sin was sin is personified here as a tyrant, as a king who reigns, and we are under the dominion of that sin. You hear me now? When Adam was condemned, you know Adam was condemned. See, God in Genesis five. 24, God drove them, Adam and Eve, out of the garden. When he was condemned, I was condemned. When Adam became a sinner by nature, when he became a child of the devil by nature, I also became a child of the devil. You see, that was our identity when we came into the world. Now, that is who we were. Now, if God is to save us, if God is to save us, he will not only save us from the penalty of our sins, 
You know, the Bible distinguishes between sin and sins. Sins are what we do. Sin is a power that lives in us, that lures us to do the will of Satan. So there are two words there. Sin is a noun. Sins is a verb. The whole of Romans 6, if you try to understand the word sin as a verb, you will miss it. Sin is personified as a, as a king in whose dominion we are as children of Satan. And so, sin has three dimensions. Number one, the entrance of sin itself. Number two, the penalty for the sin. And number three, the power of sin. If God is to save us, his salvation has to take care of those three aspects. Amen? Amen. And God's salvation is all-inclusive. It is complete. It is perfect. Because not only did he save us from the penalty of sin by dying on that cross, so that our sins will be forgiven, so that you and I will no longer die. He says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So his blood being shed on the cross of Calvary took care of the penalty of sin. Now, if God were only to forgive us of our sins and he stopped there, then we would be forgiven sinners. If our salvation only stopped with Christ dying on the cross and never resurrected, then we will just be forgiven sinners. And you know, this is the way that many believers see themselves. You know, they call themselves, well, I'm a forgiven sinner. No, you're not a sinner. Well, I don't know. You might still be one. However, God did more than the forgiveness of our sins. God had to change our identity. We were sinners. And God has to do something about that identity. Amen? Amen. And so, that old man, that old self that I was, God took care of it. And then, how did he take care of it? And this is where that phrase, in Christ, and Christ in me, comes in. Amen? Amen. In Christ. Question is, how did God change my identity? How did he change me from the old man, the Adamic nature, uh, the the sin nature, um, to something different? How did he change me from a child of the devil to a child of God? Because we often say we are children of God, you know, and then we give some, you know, the things that should back up the fact that we are children of, of God. How did I become a child of God? You know, no wonder uh, uh, Nikki or Nicodemus asked Jesus, how, how? <laughs> How is it possible? How, how is it possible to be born again? How is that, does it mean I have to go back into my mother's womb and be born again? 
that is a mystery. That's a mystery. It is a spiritual thing. How did God change my identity? How did he make me to be born again? You know, we, we say we are born of the spirit and of water, and of the word of God. But how did that happen? You see, a clear understanding of this will help us to really uh, knowing who we are, knowing our identity, knowing what God has invested in each and every one of us, knowing what is in us. Because if you don't know what is in you, if you don't know who you are, you know, people tend to act based on what they know and based on who they are. Um, I meet um, a, lot of, a lot of people in the counseling that I do, and one of the things I ask them, first of all, is who are you? Who are you? They will tell me everything but who they are. You see? Yes. And, you know, if I throw out that question here, you probably might give me the same answer. They will tell me what they are doing. Say, who are you? I'm a mother. That's not who you are. Who are you? I'm a father. I have children. I work in this place. I do this, I do that. That is not who you are. That is what you do. Who you are is different from what you do. Who you are will determine what you do. But what you do does not determine who you are. You hear me? I am from Africa. I am from Oran. We speak a wonderful language. But, but, but I learned to speak English. Now, because I speak English, does it make me an Englishman? It doesn't make me an Englishman. Okay. I'm a bona fide citizen of Oran. So, question How did God change my identity? Answer, he changed it by regeneration. Regeneration. That's a new birth, being born again. And I'm going to show us how that happened. Let's go to the book of, um, um, the book of Titus. Titus chapter 3. And verse number 5. It says, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. The washing of regeneration by the renewing and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. And so the word regeneration, if I may define it, it is a work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit performed on the human being whereby the Holy Spirit himself imparts life. The Holy Spirit communicates life that that is the very life of God. That is Zoe that left man when man sinned. Zoe, the very life of God. We still had our own life, which is called bios. You know, that life that helps us to move. You know, 
we hear, we see, do all that. So we still have bios. But Zoe left. And so by regeneration, Zoe, which is God's kind of life, is imparted to us. How is this done? By first crucifying our old man. Our own regenerate spirit. The person I was in my BC days. Crucifying the old man or the old self with Christ on the cross. So that I will no longer exist in my flesh. Walking according to my flesh. Then resurrecting the new creation with Christ, in Christ, and this new creation or the new spirit is joined with Christ so that there is a spiritual oneness. There is a spiritual oneness. There is a spiritual joining. You know, Paul says that he that is joined to the Lord is what? Is one spirit. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. So that I, the human being, am now alive from death with the life of God. That is being born again. There is, first of all, a crucifying of the old man. The person I was as a sinner in Christ. And then there is a, a resurrection of the new man. You see, the new creation is not a, re, uh, not a refurbished old man. You hear me? The new creation that you and I are is not a refurbished old self. The old man was killed in Christ, crucified. And then when Christ resurrected, you and I resurrected with him. A new creation joined with him in a spiritual oneness that you and Christ and me and Christ in our spirit we are one. Amen? Amen. Let me give you an an illustration of that oneness. No, you know, we like to drink tea, right? Coffee. And there are those of us that if you don't take your coffee in the morning, uh, something happens. But that's right, trouble happens. That's right. So we like to drink coffee. Imagine putting that instant coffee in hot water. What happens? It just dissolves. It dissolves. Can you separate the coffee from the water? Impossible. If you have to, you have to boil it. It's a very high temperature. And even at that, even, even at that, you will not be able to separate it. That is the joining. You cannot separate Christ from it. And I say, I have my own identity. <laughs> Christ is there, but it's joined to me. Imagine that Christ himself, the Son of God, the Son of God, is joined to your spirit. I wouldn't want to mess around with that. What a joy. What a joy to know that Christ is joined in me. And that is not only all. You know, I am also joined to him. I like it when... Uh, uh, Pastor Nee prayed last uh, week. He said that Christ is a vault. <laughs> the Christ is a vault. But I want to say that Christ is not only a vault, but you are also a vault. Christ is not an external vault, but it's an internal vault that is in you. You see, 
He is in you and you are in him. Inseparable. Amen. I want you to have that picture in your mind. Now, the renewing that the Holy Spirit does during um, regeneration is not a fresh bestowing of the Holy Spirit upon you. No, because you already have the Holy Spirit. That's not going to leave you. Amen? The Holy Spirit will not leave you as a believer. The Holy Spirit is already in you. The renewing that the Holy Spirit does is to revive the power of God in you. It's a continuous process. It's a continuous process. It revives the power of the Holy Spirit in you. So that you will walk, you will be willing, and you also walk in accordance with God. I usually define grace. You know, we say that grace is a merited favor. We say grace is the, fav- the favor of God and all that. But I define grace as the willingness and the ability to do God's will. The willingness and ability to do the will of God. Amen. Now the question is, we are in Christ. We are in Christ. Who placed us in Christ? Who placed you and I in Christ? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. It says, by his, by his doing... By whose doing? By the, by the Father's doing. You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So it is by the Father's doing that you and I in Christ. And this Christ has become for us our redemption, our wisdom, our sanctification. In first, first um Corinthians, again, chapter 12, verse 13. 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 13. says, by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. And what is that body? The body of Christ. By one spirit, as by the Holy Spirit, we are baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. So again, it's a work of God himself. You know, the Trinity, the Father, and the Holy Spirit that we have been placed in Christ for this one purpose, for that one purpose. Okay, so as we compared what happened to us when we were in Adam, what happened to us when we are in Christ? Because we now have this oneness. We now have this journey. So let's see. What happened to us when we were in Christ, when we were put in Christ? One, when he was crucified, you also were crucified. Who was crucified? You. Who was crucified? When I say you were crucified, what part of you was crucified? The old self, the old nature, your old self. That old self that was under the dominion of sin. That old self that could not help but sin. Because the old self was a sinner. And what a sinner does is to sin. That old self 
was crucified with Christ. Paul said in uh, Galatians 2.20, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I, the old man, have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I, the old man, lives, but who lives in me? Christ lives in me. And the life that which I, the new man, lives, I now live in the flesh, I now live in the flesh that's in my body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans 6, Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 6. I bring the scriptures to back this up so that when you go home, make sure that you receive. Do you not know? You see, it's always good for us to know because many of us don't know. The enemy thrives on a lack of knowledge. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Verse 6. Knowing this, knowing what? That you were baptized into his death. That our old self was crucified with him. For what? In order that the body of sin might be done away with, so that we will no longer be slaves to sin. You see, the old self was a slave to sin. And what God did was to, because it is in the body, in Romans chapter 7, Paul says that this sin dwells in our members. It is in our bodies. Thank God that it's not in our soul. It is not in our spirit. It dwells in our members. Our hands, our eyes, we want to see the wrong things. We want to hear the wrong things. You hear me? We walk to the wrong things. It is in our members. Thank God that it's not in our soul. It is not in our spirit. You know, some people say, in our spirit we are saved. In our soul we are being saved. And our bodies are being saved. The body is still corrupt. You hear me? The body is still corrupt. But the body is good. Because the body has to carry the soul and also carry the spirit. The body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. The temple of the Holy Ghost. I said, when Christ was crucified, I was crucified. When he was buried, I was buried. You see, you you don't kill people and you don't bury them. To know that somebody is is dead, I don't mean when people throw life people into, into, into grief, you need to bury them. So, I, the old man, was buried. When Christ resurrected, who resurrected with Christ? The new creation. The old man was left in the grave. The old man with all of his old ways, his sinful ways, they were left in the grave. And that is why Paul can say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, he says, if any man be in Christ, he's what? He's a new creation. The old, the old creation, and everything that has to do with the old creation is gone. Amen. It's gone. Amen? Amen? When I resurrected a new creation, my identity changed. God does not call us sinners anymore. What does he call us? Sins. 
It calls us righteous. And you know, for some of us, that, that, that might be too difficult to grasp. Because you say, wow, am I righteous? Do you, do you come to my house to see how I scream, yell? Uh, do you really know who I am? No, no, no. You are righteous. They say, I have to drum that in, that you are righteous. Because if I, if, if I say that you are a sinner, of course you are going to sin. But the truth of the matter is that you are righteous. Amen. You see, righteous people sometimes do wrong things. They sometimes do bad things. You see, God did not save us from sinning. He saved us from sin. Hear me. So that I'm not preaching sinless perfection. The Bible does not preach sinless perfection. The Bible says that we were delivered from the dominion of sin. Not from sinning, because we, sometimes we walk according to the flesh, and sometimes we walk according to the spirit. So, we are saints. We are righteous. Amen? The old man, the old man was buried. The old man is not alive. Oftentimes, the enemy wants us to, to think and to believe that that the old man is alive. He wants us to think that way. And so he tells us that you have two natures, the bad you and the good you. You see, that is the wrong theology. He says you have two natures, the bad you and the good you. And the one that you fit most, that is the one that will make manifest. That is a lie. You don't have two natures. You have only one nature. And that nature is that you are righteous. That you are a saint. Sometimes you make mistakes, you make wrong choices, but you are a saint. Amen? I want you to get that into your spirit, that you are a saint of the Almighty God. I mean, if you, if you, were, if, if you were not a saint, think of what um, all the troubles that the, um, the church in Corinthians faced. You know, all the sins that they committed, right? Um, gets too thirsty here. All the bad things that they did behaviorally. A man was sleeping with his um, father's wife when they went for um, Holy Communion. They did not wait for others. They were grabbing things and eating and doing all kinds of They're taking their brothers to court. I mean, if I were the founder of that church, if I were the apostle of that church, the moment I step in, I say, You all are sinners. But, but what did Paul call them? What, what things? He said, you are saints. And then you have been given all the wisdom. There is so much gifting in you. Because that is true. It's gifting in you. You are a saint. You are righteous. It's not your own righteousness. He said, he made him who do you know sin to be seen so that you and I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So you, you are not a sinner. You are a child of God. You are a saint of the Almighty God. You are righteous. You are righteous. Amen? Then the other phrase is Christ in me. Christ in me. I am dead with me in Christ. Me in Christ. I was crucified. 
I, I was buried, resurrected, a new creation. I am a new creation. But how about Christ in me? In Colossians 1, 27, Paul says, Christ in you, Christ in me, is the hope of glory. It's the hope of glory. And Paul says that we have already been glorified. You see, we will not go, like I said, with this, with this earthly tent into heaven. We will be changed in a twinkling of an eye. This body that is ridden with disease, with fat, and all kinds of things will be dropped. We will not carry excess baggage to heaven. You hear me? This body will be changed. Oh, my Lord. If, you, if God could only open your eyes to see me as I would be that day, you'll be, be looking at Jesus Christ. You hear me? We'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye. The same body that Christ had when he resurrected, it is that same body with which he is in heaven. You hear me? We'll be changed. So Christ in me, the hope of glory. Paul says, it is that Christ in me is the impartation of life. You see, the new creation has to have life. And so there is that impartation of life into the new creation. Go with me to the book of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 to 4. For you have died. The old man has died. And your life is hidden where? In Christ and in God. Go on. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. It says Christ is our life. Christ is your life. I ask you this question. When you receive Christ, what did you receive? When you receive Christ, what did you receive? <laughs> because that is the core of our salvation. That is the foundation of our salvation. What did you receive? Did you just receive forgiveness of your sins? Did you receive, uh, you know, a new creation? You see, the Bible says that we were dead in our trespasses. And if a man dies of cancer, and if you were to help him, you had the powers to help him, how would you help that man? If somebody dies of a disease... How would you help that man? You have the power. I want, I want an answer because this will be the core. If somebody dies of a disease and I have the power to help that person, what would be the first thing that you do for him or her? Give him life. I'll give him life, then I'll deal with the disease. That is what Christ did for us. He says the thief comes to do what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Christ came to give us life. Amen. He came to give us life. Amen. In fact, let's, let's go to Romans 5, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse, verse number 10. Romans 5, 
For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Notice that uh, uh, we were reconciled to God and not God to us. Because God never ran away, we ran away. So we were reconciled to him. Hear me. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, can we say much more? more. Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by what? His life. I thought we were saved by grace, by faith, by grace in, in, in Christ. I thought we were saved by all of that. He says we are saved by his life. What does it mean to be saved by his life? You see? Because this is, this is the core. This is, this, is, this is what we need to live the Christian life. He says that we are saved by his life. I thought he had to die, right? So that our sins will be washed away. And then resurrected to give us life. We are saved by his life. If we are saved by his life, and Colossians says that he is my life, he is our life. That means I'm carrying his life. All right? I'm carrying his life. This place is saying that that moment by moment walk is by his life. Moment by moment deliverance. Moment by moment deliverance from the suggestion of the power of sin that tells you, do this, don't do that, which are all um, in contrary to God's will for you. That moment by moment deliverance is through the life of Christ that is in you. You see, we have a choice. Either to live our own lives or to embrace the life of Christ that is in us. We can exchange our life with the life of Christ and walk in that life. Amen. We have that choice. One other thing is that you cannot live my life. You can't live my life. Neither can you live the life of Christ. You see, many of us are trying to live the life of Christ. And so we say we want to imitate Christ. No, you can't. You can't live the life of Christ. Just as you cannot live the life of your children. Many of us are trying to live the life of our children. We want to live for them. You cannot live the life of your children. They have their lives. And you have your life. Hear me. Christ's life is a Christian life. Or Christian life means Christ's life. It's not my life. It's not your life. And so I cannot live it. I cannot live it. So how can the life of Christ be made manifest? I have to exchange my own life and say, Lord Jesus, live your life through me. Live your life through me. Live your life in me and live it through me. Because it is his life. That's why we have to die to ourselves. John said, I decrease so that he might increase it. 
dying to say, because you're already dead. The old man is dead. But it says, bring yourself. Bring yourself to walk according to the spirit. It says, if we walk according to the spirit, we will not satisfy the loss of the flesh. Amen? So it is the life of Christ. And you and I cannot live it. So we allow him to live this life through us. We allow him to love that person who is unlovable. We allow him to accept that person who is unacceptable. We allow him to walk in us. We yield. We surrender. You see, Christ did that. And that is a talk for another time. Christ surrendered unto the Father. He rid himself of every reputation. He took on the form of a servant. He lowered himself. See, Christ did nothing. He said, it is the Father who is doing it through me. You see, many of us want to live the Christian life with our own power. Paul tried it. Apostle Paul tried it. In Romans chapter 7, he says, the things I want to do, I do not. But the very things I don't, those are the things that I do. He said, if I do the things that I don't want to do, then I'm not the one doing it, but see who indwells me. And he says, what a wretched man I am. He said, we have to come to that place where we say, I am wretched, Lord. I am wretched. I want you to live your life through me. I surrender to you that your life will be made manifest. If I try to live your life, I'm going to blow it. Because you can't. That's why sometimes people say that uh, that the Christian life is impossible. Because it has to be lived by Christ himself. Sabbath rest. You see, we talk about Sabbath rest. Sabbath rest is me resting and allow Christ to live his life through me. That's when you can rest. But if you're walking and walking to live the life, your love, your love is going to be toxic. You'll be producing toxic love. If you want to love by yourself, because you cannot love if the love of God is not there. Your love will be toxic. Your love will be you know, selfish. You'll be loving for you instead of loving for that person. Amen? So now, what is the result of me in Christ and Christ in me? One, you are spiritually alive. You were dead before, but now you are spiritually alive. You have a right relationship with God. Not only that, you are righteous. You are righteous. Number two, how about the state of your soul? David said, God restored my soul. Your soul has been restored. You have a sound mind. Bible says that you have the mind of Christ. You hear me? You have the mind of Christ. All those thoughts of vanity, useless thoughts, they are no longer there. But you still have a choice. Because the flesh, the flesh is still there. The flesh, your old ways, they are still in your memory. You know, the ways that you used to behave in your busy days, God did not wipe them off. You hear me? If God had done that, we wouldn't, we, we wouldn't want to depend on him. But he left it there. He left the power of sin there. 
And we'll talk about the power of sin some other time. He left the flesh there. The memories are still there. How you used to go to joints and all those places, they are still there. You hear me? It's because these truths, you have to know these truths. But God has also delivered us from the power of the flesh. He says that those that belong to God, they no longer have that passion. If you belong to Christ, Galatians 5, 24. Can we go to that place? Galatians 5, 24. And we are going to end with that. What, is, what does it say? Now those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with his passions and its desires. You no longer want to do the desires of Satan. You want to do the desires of your father. Amen? Amen. This is what liberates you. I'm not going to study and tell you, do this or do that. But if I tell you who you are and what God has invested in you, then the power that is working in you, you you wouldn't want to touch those things that you are doing anymore. If you know that you have a sound mind, that your emotions are now reflecting the power the, the uh, gift of the, I mean, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. That is the state of your emotions. Do not believe the lie of the enemy, that you are a fearful person, that you should be ashamed of yourself, that you are unlovable. Who told you that? Who told you? You see, that same question that God asked Adam and Eve, But he said, I was naked. God said, who told you you were naked? That same question is resonating. It's resonating. When those lies, when the enemy is feeding you with those lies, that you are unlovable, that you are abandoned, that you are rejected, ask, who told you? Who told you? Because in Christ, you are acceptable in the beloved. Amen? You are acceptable in the beloved. You are not an abandoned child. He says, I will not leave you as an orphan. I will come back. I'm joined with you. Nothing can separate me from you. Now, if we choose to walk, because we still have that choice. Thank God for the choice. He said, God did not make us robots. That we cannot choose. Choice is good. You choose to love God. When you choose to love God, you will love him with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and with all of your soul and all of your strength. Choose. God gave us that choice so that we can love him, not by compulsion. You love him because you want to. And anything that you do because you have to, you ought to, you must, that is the flesh. You're going back to the law. You're going back to performance-based acceptance. You love him because you want to. I come to the church because I want to. I visit you because I want to. I don't visit you out of compulsion because that is the law. But you know one thing. We now have the resurrected life. We still have the choice. Either to walk according to the flesh or according to the spirit. Now what is God's answer to that? Because God loves us so much. He will do everything to bring us to the end of ourselves. Are you hearing me? 
So if you are struggling, if you are struggling, if things are happening that you don't understand, maybe God is trying to bring you to the end of yourself. Maybe you are too strong for the Lord. Maybe he wants you to be weak so that his power might be made manifest through you. And that is the love of God. He wants you to see the bankruptcy of your flesh. He wants you to see the futility of those your own ways that you've been trying to get your needs met. That is what God is doing in our life. And then when he brings us to the end of ourselves, we are going to turn around and say, yes, Lord, I surrender. I surrender. My ways are no good, Lord. I surrender to you so that your life will be made manifest in me. Remember this picture? I in my Father and you in me and I in you. It's a wonderful place to be. You are joined with him. Lastly, Jesus lovingly in John 15, verse 5. I want you to put that in the message Bible. For us to remain there in the message Bible. He says, I am divine. Please put it in the message Bible. Do you have the message Bible? Message? Yes. Is that it? Yes. I am divine. You are the branches. When you are joined with me, are are you joined with him? Yes, Yes, you are joined with him. When you are joined with me, and I with you, the the relation, intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you you can't produce a thing. Separated, you can't produce a thing. The last time I ministered here, I told you what intimacy means. Intimacy means into me see. How many of you are willing to be seen? How many of you are willing to reveal your weaknesses? How many of you are willing to say, Lord, here am I. I want to decrease so that you might increase in me. Because without that, see what he said? You can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. It is the will of God. So it is the Father's will. He said the Father is glorified when we bear fruit. When we bear fruit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love. Joy. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Self-control. Not self-discipline. Self-control. We want to discipline ourselves. The Holy Spirit said, no. It is self-control. Self-control. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word that has come forth. There are many here, Father, that want to come to the end of themselves. You see, it wasn't until the prodigal son came to the end of himself before he went back to the father. And the father allowed him to do that that he will come to the end of himself to see the bankruptcy of his flesh, of his old ways of doing things. To see the emptiness of those old ways. And don't get me wrong, some flesh might look good, 
Some flesh might look good. They work a holy flesh. You know, you know, the employees love that. People that walk and walk and walk and walk and walk. But God is not there. We walk until you are, you know, stressed. But Father, this morning, I lift up your people before you. There are saints. There are your people. I stand in awe of them. People that you made in your own very image. Righteous. Blameless. Holy. Without reproach. That is what you call them, Father. For that they are yours. You are in them and they are in you. Your life is hid in you. Blessed be your name, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.